listening to First Church Charlotte. Delighted to uh, have you all with us today, and thank you again to our volunteers. This is a weekend where the whole nation makes an effort to memorialize or to remember with devotion, to remember with honor all of the individuals who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom, for our country. Uh, A lot of people confuse this weekend with Veterans Day, and there is a difference. Memorial Day is specifically dedicated to the people who have given their life. They've paid the ultimate sacrifice for our our country. Um, And of course, Veterans Day honors all who have served. And so we are particularly remembering those those heroes of American history who put themselves at the ultimate risk. Uh, They probably had, and I I was reading this morning a a great tribute to our, the individuals who have done this for our country and for all of our respective freedom. Um, They probably had the same doubts at times about the political process that you do. They probably had the ups and downs of um, identity or non-identity with what was going on with American politics. They knew that this country had flaws just like you did. You do. And they read critics just like you do. Uh, Critics are not a modern function. They are as old as politics itself. And yet, in spite of the doubts, in spite of the questions, in the moment when it mattered, they were really willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice for their country. And we honor them today, and we want to, we want to, as a country, we want to remember them deeply and profoundly, and as individuals, we want to live in such a manner that it meant something. Uh, those of you who have seen that that classic American uh, history about a war and death will remember, and that's the Steven Spielberg film Saving Private Ryan. You will remember at the end of that, at the end of that, uh, one, the main character says to the young Private Ryan, I don't remember exactly, but he says something along the lines of earn this. Uh, he's dying Uh, In other words, his point is not live your life with guilt. His point is let it mean something. Do something with it. It is a fabulous gift. Uh, This is not just a political or historical idea in the sense of a duty to a country. Uh, This idea is is actually uh, shown to us in a different way, in a different context, shown to us even in the scripture, where we have been given a tremendous gift, and we must do something with that gift. Do you see? Uh, So in the scripture, just as the kingdom of heaven is like unto a a master who gives a tremendous uh, gift to his stewards, his servants, and then he goes away and they have to do something with it, so it is that we all of us understand this idea that we have been given a gift. Can I have a big amen? It wasn't free. Someone paid a tremendous price, and now we must honor that gift with our lives. It's a lot to think about, right? 
Uh, today I am going to preach from this subject in the crucible, and I am going to tell you the story of a young lady of Jewish history named Esther, and we are going to seek to learn from that. If you'll preach with me, somebody say, I'll preach with you. I appreciate your help. I need it today, and we will get into the scripture together. Before we start, let's pray one more time. Lord, we need your anointing. We need your blessing. I pray that you would anoint my lips to communicate your word. I pray that you would anoint their hearts to receive your word in Jesus' name, and let the church say amen. All right, so as you know, oftentimes on uh, Sundays, the 9 a.m. service, I tend to teach my message, and in the 11 a.m. service, I tend to preach my message. They're both good. That's my version of giving myself a compliment. I don't mean the teaching or the preaching are good. I'm, I'm respective to me. I mean it is both good to teach the word of the Lord, and it is both good to preach the word of the Lord. We need both of them. Can I have an amen? I need both of them. I always want to honorably hold the word of God. If there's one theme that you will hear from me as a minister, it will be this theme of respect and honor to the word of the Lord. It is an honor for me to teach it or preach it. It is an honor to be entrusted to carry it to other people's hearing and attention. I am always unworthy of that, and yet God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching uh, to let this gospel go forth, to let people be brought to salvation in Jesus Christ. So it is my pleasure, my honor, and my joy to teach and preach this morning. The first thought that came to my mind, and this I know makes me look good, but you have to suffer with arrogant preachers. The first thought that came to this my mind this morning when I woke up was, thank you God for the opportunity to preach your word. I love the word of God. And so let's get started. I might teach it more than I preach it. If you like the preaching better, you should hang over for the 11. I'll preach it more than I teach it. Whatever the case, I need your help, all right? I'll do better with your help. I won't preach as long. If I go long, it's your fault. You can always blame Brother Larry. Say, Larry, you were up front. You should have said amen louder, and he would not have gone as long. So, all right. Esther is an amazing story of courage. Courage matters. There is no life that is lived without contest, without struggle, uh, without suffering, without setback. We must accept that we as limited beings will live a life that has a lot of struggle in it. Can I have an amen? We will live a life that has setback in it. You are mortal. That means your body will get sick and your body will get tired. It will not mean you're out of the will of God. It will not mean that God doesn't love you. My grandmother, who we buried recently, my grandmother was one of the most fiercely religious people I've ever known in the whole of my life. And she got sick uh, and she died. If it is true for all of the patriarchs, then it is true for us. Now, uh, if we're not careful, we will use suffering and struggle and setback as a reason to give up on God. 
Hear me. If we are not careful, we will use struggle and suffering and sickness as a reason to feel sorry for ourselves and to get mad at God. You miss the point. I miss the point when we do that. Our goal, our purpose is to be victorious, not to live lives without struggle. Now, that was better than the amen I got from this side. Brother Larry carried this side very good when I said that. This side was struggling. So I need some more amens from this side, all right? Your goal is to be victorious, not to live a life without struggle. <laughs> there is no life without struggle, and yet there is victory in Jesus. I said, yet there is victory in Jesus. I will be sick, yet there is victory in Jesus. I will be disappointed. Somebody say it with me. Yet there's victory in Jesus. I will be attacked by the enemy and yet there is victory in Jesus. I will have to fight spiritual onslaughts in my life and yet there is victory in Jesus. If the patriarchs had to make it through, honey, you're going to have to make it through. If the patriarchs had to hold fast to God's promise, we are going to have to hold fast to God's promise. And when we do so, it doesn't mean we're doing it wrong. It means we're doing it right. The church will be attacked, and yet the church can be victorious through Jesus. The ministries of the church will be attacked. People are going to talk bad about you. They're going to talk bad about me. And yet there is victory in Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, somebody. And so Esther is uniquely blessed of God. And there's, there's obvious ways she is blessed. She's a very beautiful young lady. Uh, but there's more than just the blessing of, of, of her beauty and her aesthetic value. Uh, there's also the blessing of placement. There's a lot of beautiful people that never had a chance in life. Some of you know people like that. Very attractive people, very talented people, never had a chance. A prison is full of intelligent people uh, who uh, didn't really have much of a chance. Uh, yes, some of them have the courage of character to rise above their circumstances. Uh, but let's be honest, it's a rare person who can completely, in their own abilities, rise above their context. It's more likely something like this. If you're raised by crazy people, you're going to be a little bit crazy. If you're raised by angry people, you're going to be a little bit angry. If you're raised by unorganized people, your life's going to be a little bit unorganized. And you will bear the responsibilities and the pains and the sorrows of that org, uh, unorganization, of that anger. Uh, if addiction was in your family and you are not addicted today, you are a walking testimony. You need to give your testimony. And you need to say it just like that. You need to say it just like that. Addiction was in my family like a curse upon us. But God has set me free. That is a living, walking testimony that you need to be speaking everywhere you go. You've been delivered. Oh, hallelujah, some believer. Yeah. 
And so uh, Esther, she had been uh, prepared by God. She had been placed by God. And she um, perhaps uh, wondered why it had worked out the way it did. Uh, We all of us are gifted in some ways. We usually will discount our own gifts and we'll value other people's gifts more than others. Um, Because if we begin to value our gifts, that means we have to do something. (laughs) That means we have to get involved. That means we have to give back. But as long as we low rate our gifts and act like they're not very valuable, then we can hide them under a bushel and feel good about it because they didn't have much value to begin with. God wants you to see that he has generously gifted you. Can I have some agreement at First Church? He has generously gifted you. And when you see that, you will feel in your life, in your prayer, in your anointing, in your consecration, you will begin to feel your need to get involved and give back. Man, that's some good preaching, Brother Nathan. That was just right down my alley. That's a little bit of pastoral schizophrenia for you there. One part of me complimenting the other. You are gifted and you are blessed and you need to find a way to give back to the kingdom of God. Esther probably wondered about this. How, why am I, you know, why did it work out this way? I'm placed in the king's house. Well, uh, there is lessons in the word of God for all of us, I think. And I, I want to try to show the, uh, you uh, by way of transparency how uh, even the preacher can misunderstand what it means to go humbly to the word of the Lord. It would be easy for me to take the story of Esther and think that it applies to you and think that it is directed to you. And I would be right. It is applied to you and it is directed to you. But in my religious vanity, I could err in thinking that it was for you and it was not for me. We cannot be Bible students like that. We can't open the word of the Lord and get what everybody else should do. We must open the word of the Lord and be humbled by the word of the Lord and apply it to our life. If you simply get into a religious approach to scripture where you're always seeing what other people ought to do, then you have developed a toxic Christianity. And what your Christianity is, is not an act of love, but it is an act of control and application to others. And so I want to look at this passage. Here's Esther. She's been prepared. She's been placed. And perhaps she's wondered, and perhaps she has even, hear me today, even felt guilty because of all the blessing in her life. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I want you to know if you've been blessed, it's easy for you to feel guilty because you see people who don't have what you've been given. And it's easy to think, I, I, I don't know why, you know, my girlfriends growing up, Esther could have thought, none of them are in the king's house, but here I am. Some of them may be resentful that I've been so elevated, and yet here I am. Some of them may live lives of brutal labor and sad marriage union, and yet here I am. I don't understand why I have been blessed. The first error that uh, that Esther can make in this moment is to think that God's blessing in her life is about her. Do you see? She can make this mistake that God's blessed me because I'm special. God has blessed me because I am his favorite teacher's pet. God has blessed me, and it's all about me. This is the most dangerous path of people who should know better. It is the path of pride. It is the path of Lucifer. Hear me. I know churches have to watch out for the sins of the flesh, but let me remind you, Lucifer's fall did not come about 
up by a sin of the flesh. It wasn't a sin of immorality. It wasn't stealing money. It was the pathway of pride. And Lucifer came to believe that he was his own purpose. Esther, you have been uniquely blessed. You have been uniquely placed. You have been uniquely appointed. But the error you can make is think the blessing was by you, about you, and for you. I want all of us to be challenged, and I want to start here with myself first as an act of transparency, not asking myself what you should do with the story of Esther, but starting first right here and saying, what should I do with the story of Esther, I should be reminded that every one of God's gifts in my life are not about me and for me. They are through me, about God, and for others. Do you see? Do you see how we humble ourselves before the Word of God? I have to look at Esther, and just as Esther could err and think that it was for her, and she was just special above everybody else, and she was good, and they were bad, and she was exalted, and they were lowly and she would have missed it. God's blessing in your life is not so you can be on the front pages of Fortune Magazine or Glamour Magazine or Business Week or the Pentecostal Herald. I know that's where Brother Ed wants to be most. Hear me. God's blessing to you is because he has set you for a time when you're going to stand in a crucible. I said God has placed you and blessed you and gifted you for the moment when your life will matter. It is in that crucible. And this is what her adoptive father, remember Esther was an orphan. Uh, Her adoptive father Mordecai says to her in chapter number 4 and verse number 13. uh, Don't think, and this is, I'll just kind of put this in modern vernacular, but the passage is 13 through 16, chapter 4. Don't think... Uh, that you will escape the judgment that is coming upon the house of Israel. What is what is Mordecai talking about? There was an enemy uh, named Haman who hated the people of God. Now, uh, he himself was an immigrant to this kingdom he was a part of. Uh, Haman was himself of another country. Haman himself, like the Jews, were immigrants within this empire. He was a descendant of Amalek and Esau, uh, a small uh, tribe uh, known as an Agagite, and he, uh, or an Agitite, I should say. Uh, he was a, he was of that tribe. He was an immigrant to the empire, just like Esther was. And he uh, had in his heart hatred for the people of God. And, and he had through trickery, I won't get into the, 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 the legal details of it, but through trickery, he had arranged for a law to be established whereby uh, God's people would come under persecution and uh, what they had of value would be taken by the people around them. This has a historical name, a pogrom, uh, where people persecute Jews and they take what they have, their houses, their wealth, their lands, their, their livestock, anything that they have, and, and they do it under the pretense of legality. And so Haman had, had set up this, this 
trick, this snare whereby uh, this would happen. And uh, Mordecai saw through the, the plot and he made this appeal to Esther. Remember, Esther has been divinely gifted. She has caught the, team, the king's attention through her beauty. She has been divinely placed. She is not just a random beauty. She's a beauty that has access to the king's attention. And so she is chosen. Do you see the difference in being beautiful and being uh, in the right place at the right time? And she has been placed of God. And Mordecai, her adoptive father, tells her, you cannot think that you will escape because you are in the king's household. You are a Jewess. You are through and through of the people of God. And you need to be aware of that. Your father's house and your own house will be destroyed. Who knows? Maybe, he says to her, you have been placed by God for just a time as this. Now all of the people are at risk. No one has suffered yet. No one has been hanged yet. But they all are at risk. Esther is the one, however, in the crucible. Esther is the one who has been placed by God in a moment where her life can make a difference. And so Esther, you guys know the story, she takes upon the supreme risk of breaking the law or risking breaking the law of the kingdom by entering into the king's presence unannounced. And she does this and he he pardons her with his scepter of pardon. And of course there are some beautiful types and spiritual types and shadows here. And she goes into to the presence of the king, receives his pardon, and expresses her concern about this trickery that has been brought against the house of Israel by Haman. And so the king cannot hear this truth. The king cannot undo the law he has given according to the, uh, the jurisprudence of the inner the empire that they are a part of. Uh, he cannot undo. It seems like a strange reality for the king not to be able to undo the law and uh, yet he cannot but what the king can do and in the story we are told he can make another law and so he does this he adds a second law to the first one the first law was a law that tricked God's people into this reality of having their neighbors and their community take the wealth that they had worked hard for from them. That's the first law. But the king makes a second law. And it's a great law for you to be aware of on Memorial Day weekend. He says this in his second law. His second law allows people to to gather themselves together. Well, I'm reading in chapter 8 of the book of Esther, and let me read at, at verse number uh, 11, wherein the king granted the Jews which were in every city to gather themselves together and to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people and province that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them 
for a prey. What happened in this crazy ancient kingdom and in this strange legal circumstance? Yes, a law had been passed where God's people could be persecuted and their, their, their lives threatened and their goods taken. But the king has passed another law that basically says this. You can defend yourself. You can fight for what is yours. The king will not take side against you. This created a whole new dynamic. This created a whole new dynamic. Now, those who had conspired to trick the king fell under the king's judgment. Haman was hung on the very scaffolding he had prepared, the gallows he had prepared for the Jews. That is one thing. You don't get to trick the king and get away with it. But the people themselves, they have to stand and fight for their own life. So I want you to see this picture, this, this, this spiritual instruction. Remember, these stories are teaching moments for us. They teach us how to walk in this life. They show us what it means to stand in between heaven and earth and serve God and pursue the kingdom of God in this life. And so first you have Esther. Where is she? She thinks she is in the king's household, but she is really in a place of a spiritual crucible. And she's going to have to risk it all. Somebody say risk it all. She's going to have to fight for what God has given her. She's going to have to stand in the moment where anything can happen, where she herself is at risk. And she is going to have to stand for God's people in the place that God has placed her hear me today. The first lesson we all of us can learn from the pulpit to the uh, back door of the church. We all of us can learn this. God places us according to his will. Can I have an amen? And we are not there by accident. Can I have another amen? We are there on purpose. I've come to tell someone today in the name of Jesus you have been placed intentionally and you have been placed carefully and you are not in your world by accident, God bet on you. Did you hear what I said? God invested in you. You can make a difference, my brother, my sister. Oh, I wish there was somebody who could rise up in their spirit and say, I hear what you're saying, preacher. God believed in me. God has placed you and God has anointed you. What has he done it for? For such a time as this. All the blessing that is in your life is okay for you to enjoy as long as when the moment of the crucible comes you step forward and say none of this matters to me it is God's call that matters it is God's kingdom that matters it is God's work that matters Hallelujah. Esther you could enjoy being in the king's house. Esther, you can enjoy the blessings that God has placed upon you as long as when the crucible comes, you're willing to say, it's worth the risk to be God's man, to be God's woman, to be God's tool. Church, I'm thankful for every blessing in my life. I'm thankful for every blessing in your life. But when the day of spiritual contest comes, it's time for us to rise above our blessings. 
it's time for us to rise above our luxuries. And it's time to first say, here I am, Lord. Use me for your purpose and use me for your glory. And a church that will do that will not ever be defeated because God has invested in us and God has placed us and God's timing is perfect. Can I have an amen? And you are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ and you are well able. Let's not bring an evil report like the spies who came back from the promise and said we can't keep and make the promise. Let's bring a report of faith when we come back to the promised land and let's say we are well able to claim the promise. I want to claim God's work in this city in Jesus' name. I want to claim many souls in this city in Jesus' name. I want to claim a church that the ministries of the church stirs the city. I want to claim it in Jesus' name. And I want to say you are well able. I want to claim a church whose prayers shake the foundations of hell. And I want to say those are going to be your prayers. I want to claim a church where all week long it's not just about us and our blessing. But we're thinking who can I pray for today. I've made a commitment to God. I will never pray without opening my spirit for the Lord to place people on my heart. And so when I pray I always take time to pause in my spiritual and in my spiritual wishing. And I say this to God. I say, God, if I were really spiritual, whose name would I be calling right now? And then I just walk and I think, whose name would I be calling? And I say, God, if I was really your man, I want to be. If I was really your man, whose name would I be calling right now? And when their name comes to me, I pray for them and I speak protection upon them and I speak your name. I spoke some of your names this week and I say, God, I speak your anointing upon them. I promise you, if you will open your hand, God will put a sword in it. I said, if you will open your heart, God will put a burden in it. If you will open your Bible, God will use it as a two-edged sword. If you will open your prayer life, God will speak through you with the powerful ministry of the intercessor. But all your blessings is not so you get to be the cool kids. All your anointing is not so we can get to rise up in our excellence. We have been placed for such a moment as this. And I'm so glad to tell you, your greatest honor in your life is when you stand in the place of God and in the place of God's people. It's there you may lose your life, but it's there your greatest honor is found. And on Memorial Day weekend, I have to say to those individuals who risked it all and gave it all, there is no higher honor for them than to say they risked it for the greatest cause and they lost it for the greatest cause. And that was the people they were a part of. And that's just a patriotic statement. But let me say there's a higher calling and there is a higher cause. Know you not that you are the temple of the Lord. Know you not that you are the people of the Lord. Know you not that you are the kingdom of the Lord. You are the house of the Lord. And the greatest honor is not when you receive another robe from the king. 
Is that okay? The greatest honor is not when you receive another blessing from the imperial throne room. The greatest honor is when a mentor challenges you and says, it might be that your anointing can change everything in this situation. And you say, Lord, I, don't, I know I'm not worthy, but maybe I'm able. Quit asking yourself if you're worthy and start asking yourself if you're able. I think I might put that on my YouTube, my, 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 my Twitter this week. <laughs> Am I able? A spiritual mentor says to you, it might be that God has gifted you and placed you for this moment. And if you miss the day of your calling, you won't be able to save yourself with the blessings of this life. You will have missed your calling. And in this moment, I'm so glad to be a part of a church that it is our stated mission. It is our effort. It is our church culture for us to create an environment where you can become that spiritual difference maker, that spiritual world changer, that individual who steps forward in memorial for a cause worth dying for and says, this is my moment. This is my hour. I will not be silent. I will not be intimidated, but I will step in the throne room of the king and I will say, we need help down here. And through prayer and through love, we make a difference spiritually. We battle not. We don't war against flesh and blood. Uh, One of the big challenges of the spiritual individual is to ask themselves what it means to do spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare involves prayer, but it is not all prayer. Spiritual warfare involves taking dominion spiritually, but it is not all taking to spiritual dominion. It is not simply a contest in the spiritual realm. That is only one of the battlefields. Another battlefield is the decision of the individual. We fight in the spiritual through the power of the name of Jesus. We fight in the literal, in the lives, in the in the realm of individual choices. We fight with charity and love. We fight in the spiritual with faith. We fight in the literal with love. That's another Bible study, another message. I'll get to that another time. How do we understand these realms? If you go to a brother, or let's, let me, let's say there's someone in your life you're trying to reach. If you go to them and rebuke them in Jesus' name, they will not join the church. Because we do not battle in the literal with the, 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 the strength of faith. We battle in the spiritual with faith. We battle in the literal with love. Love never fails. Love never fails. Even when it seems to lose, it wins. 
And so it is. You are challenged to stand in the gap in your world like Esther and say, I'm going to make a difference. I want to, in closing, musicians come, I want to uh, tell you a, a, a story. Some of you will have heard this story. It's, it is uh, something that has been... Uh, Honored a lady that's been honored before. Judith Feld Carr uh, was a Canadian Jew who was um, not seemingly a, a person of great bravery. Uh, she actually was a musician, and she worked as a musicologist, and she was very talented in that. And uh, you would not think of her as a macho, brave person. Indeed, she was not macho at all, but she was fantastically brave. And she uh, heard about the plight of Jews in Syria. And she began to communicate and travel and develop uh, networks in that country. And because of the, the government there, many of the Jews were persecuted politically. And uh, they were held as captives. The government would take their, their possessions, take their homes. And uh, she began to uh, create cells. She would go and meet other Syrians. And she decided she would do something to try to help the, the plight of the persecuted Jews in Syria. And this is from modern times. This is, not, this is not really from history. It is from history, but it's not like from ancient times, I should say. Uh, she was born in 1938, and uh, she lived during the years we, we've all lived. And uh, she, she really just started to see what she could do. Uh, she did not talk tough. She didn't strut around. She probably didn't own any weapons, <laughs> but she began to do, to do something. She began to develop networks. And uh, whenever she heard of somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who was connected to one of these Syrian Jews, she would begin to investigate what she could do to help them. Over time, she developed networks or uh, what you would think of as a, a type of cell of protection. And uh, she began to literally persecuted Jews. Let me read a quote from her. Uh, she says, I bought them like you'd buy cattle. It was as crass and as disgusting a thing as anybody could have ever done. That's her words. She literally would find out who, what police uh, uh, precinct was holding a Jews, uh, what area, what uh, part of the Syrian government was taking and she would begin to make calls and she because it was a fairly corrupt society she would begin to reach out do you have the number for the police chief do you know who this is and then she would call him and she would say I'm, I'm so and so I'm from Canada um, I, I'm calling on behalf of someone that's in your custody um, I, I would like them to receive papers to leave Syria and, and, and we will provide for them in another country um, could I, um, is there anything I could do? Is there, and, and she learned the language of bribery. It is a language in these countries. It's a, a way of hinting. You can't come right out and insult them, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, she learned it. Is there some support? And she began to buy 
Jews that were being held. She would bribe the police. She would bribe the judges. She would bribe the military. Anybody she could. She would just see if she could do something. Literally, that's how it started. Let's just see. Who can I talk to? Who can I call? Did she own a fighter jet? She didn't own a single fighter jet. She would not know what to do with a firearm. She literally did what she could. And she, over the years, and this is so astonishing to me, she purchased, she bribed, she argued, she smuggled 3,228 Syrian Jews out of Syria. Three thousand two hundred and twenty-eight Jews out of Syria that were being persecuted. She smuggled them out. She bribed them out. Just seemingly an ordinary person. Not a tough guy. A music teacher. And that's what she did. She received, not too many years back, she received the highest award that the state of Israel gives for her work in saving the lives of these Syrian Jews. There is in all of our life a crucible of opportunity where we can begin to make a difference. And I'm here to tell you, you can make a bigger difference than you think you can. It may start small, just like this. I'm just going to call and ask, is there any way we could help this person? Do you have a plan? Not yet. Do you have a a goal? Yes, but I don't have a plan. (laughs) That sounds like how most ministries are started. Most successful ministries are started just like that. I just want to see if there's something I can do. I'm here to tell all of you that you're great in God. You're not great in you. You're great in God. You've been uniquely blessed and gifted and anointed. And God has placed you for such a time as this. If you miss it, you will never be satisfied by the robes the king's household can give you. You'll never be satisfied by the fine house you live in. I know I'm preaching long. Forgive me. I blame it on Larry. I'm here to tell you, you are able to make a difference. Will you stand with me right now? Would you step out of the chair you're in right now? Would you come down to this front and would you humbly open your heart and say, God, show me, show me, show me, lead me. I want to make a difference. I'm a tool in your hand. I'm a person in your hand. Use me for your glory. Come on, somebody. You're talented. You're anointed. You can make a difference. You are surrounded by opportunity. Lord, open our eyes. Open our hearts. Open our spirits, oh God. Anoint us and challenge us to arise and to step forward with spiritual confidence and to make a difference by the power and the anointing and the promises of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, First Church, right now. Focus your mind. Focus your hearts. I want to see the path forward, oh God. I want to see the difference that I can make in my lives, Lord Jesus. I want to see I will go. I will pray. I will go. I will pray. I will make a difference in Jesus' name. specifically and it's a challenge for you to think 
bigger. Somebody say, think bigger. I want you to think bigger. I want you to think bigger. Is that fair? I want you to think bigger. I want you to think bigger. I want you to think bigger. You're already thinking big. You're going to pass. So let me real quick give you a quick overview. Our church has had tremendous success uh, working with immigrants. It all started when Ron and Michelle just met a group. And literally, they just met a group. And they started fellowshipping with them. And they didn't go home and say, we have the truth and you all don't. They just started working with them. <laughs> and uh, out of that came the first uh, group uh, that, 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 that started. Now, uh, we, we uh, had a Nepalese group. They have their own church now. They're very, very successful. They grew the fastest of all of them. Uh, we, 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 we're still connected with them. Uh, God bless them. Uh, the Nepalese, uh, the, the Burmese. Um, it all started with, with just a connection. And uh, we don't know what we're doing, but hey, let's start. There's more immigrant groups, and the Lord's going to connect us with them. It's part of our church culture. It's part of who we are and what we do. Uh, that's how it started. It just started that way. Um, we've been having services next door for years, for years, years, years. I, I, I don't know ex the exact story of that start, but if I remember correctly, um, uh, Donna, you guys know Sister Donna. She's never met a stranger. She just walked over there and started talking to him. And now we have... We've had years of ministry there, years of ministry. Nearly every Sunday, we have someone over there loving those people. Love never fails. Uh, so, uh, the, the, some of our more recent uh, efforts, like, like uh, Prosper University, that started because Tiffany had worked with a team of people, and um, she kind of had a preformed team, and uh, it was ready to go. And uh, so uh, we got to talking about what we could do. She had a burden to do something. I want to do something. I, I, I want to do something. I, uh, I, well, what about this? I had an idea. I had this idea that we'd organize park services and we'd start having church in parks on Sunday. And, and she played around with that. Everybody says, ah, man, man. Then she told me it wasn't a good idea. That's the first time she had a bad spirit. And... Uh, <laughs> No, she didn't say that, honestly. But then she's like, I have an idea. What if we tried a, a mentoring ministry in the neighborhood around? And I was like, sure, I, I don't know anything about it, but let's give it a shot. Now we have 60, 70 kids. Many of you volunteer over there. We speak into those families. We speak into those kids' lives. We love them. Love never fails. It's bread on the water. Don't tell me they're kids. That's where it all starts. Of course they're kids. Don't act like they don't have value because they're kids. That's where it starts. And uh, it, it started just like that. There was no grand scheme. It was just a, let's try it. I'll never forget, my wife and I were talking about uh, doing something to, to introduce people to the church. Uh, a, a way to connect them. A way to, to get to know them. And, and we just talked and talked. And we had heard people do different ideas. And I looked at all the plans. And most of them didn't really fit us. And finally, out of an act of sheer desperation, I started First Steps. I didn't know what to do. I still don't know what I'm doing. By the way, today's lesson three. You guys who are in that process, 
um, the Lord has blessed it. And out of that has come some tremendous connection. And uh, 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 our churches, get, we get more second, third, fourth, fifth time visitors than we ever. We, we've always had a lot of visitors, but we always had a lot of first time visitors and they never came back. We're having more success with the second, third. God has blessed it. I'm thankful for that. I, had, I want you to see that uh, if you see me as this mastermind, like in my spider web scheming, oh, and then I will say, dearly beloved, there's no master scheme. There's just me and my wife sitting in a car saying, wait, let's just try something. Let's just try. What's the worst thing that can happen? Well, it won't work. I'm comfortable with failure. Look failure up in the dictionary. There's a picture of me right beside it smiling. I'm comfortable with failure. Not everything works, but let it not be said. I wasn't searching, and I wasn't seeking, and I wasn't trying to make a difference. I'm here to tell you, God has blessed you and placed you and anointed you. You need to open your eyes and look upon the field. They are right, ready for harvest. The methods will change. The styles will change. The culture will change. But the point, the mission will never change. We are called to represent Jesus Christ to this generation. Can I have a big first church? Amen. I thank you for your people, God. Anoint them for your purpose, I pray. Anoint them for your calling, I pray. Go with them in faith. Anoint their efforts, whether it's being involved in a ministry, volunteering in a ministry, starting a small group, teaching a Bible study, showing love to somebody in their life. God, I'm praying you would use your people. In Jesus' name we pray. And let the church say, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. We love you. We love you. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. And those of you who volunteer in our next service, thank you for your service. God is a great pleasure. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m and Bible Study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.